Hello and welcome to the Mabinda podcast series where I basically analyze the top trends in the media and then I give in my two cents. So this is an opinion journalism portal more than anything else. So for for now I look at at a few headlines I look at Ivory Coast Abidjan.net. That is Ivory Coast I look at a story from Abidjan.net. Loro Bagbo acquitted at the ICC. Loro Bagbo acquitted at the ICC. So basically, Loro Bagbo, the president of Ivory Coast, between 2005 and 2012. So what this means then? Uh, he had stuck to power and had refused to lose to vacate power even after he had lost elections. And so Alison Watara, with the help of the French, of course, he. He dislodged him from power, from the presidency in 2011 and then dispatched him to the ICC. So he has been at the ICC since 2011, together with some of his supporters for crimes against humanity because about 3,000 people died in the post-election violence that ensued after Loro Bagbo refused to vacate power. So for me, which gets me thinking, what is really the role of ICC in Africa? Is it good or bad? 34 African countries were signatories to the ICC, but yet, uh, so this could show that there's a weakness in the justice system in Africa because even though uh, practically about half of the world are member signatories of the ICC, uh, by and large about 90% of, the, of those who have been inducted by the ICC are are Africans. So even, uh, and even that's why maybe I argue that the prosecutor of ICC was Fatou Ben Suda from Gambia. So maybe they just saw maybe the African big man is the problem of the world and then they, dis- they decided to let the uh, African prosecutor handle them. And even in the Kenyan cases at the ICC uh, of the 2007-2008 post-election violence, the the lead uh, judge was a Nigerian, so they put black there to show that ICC is sympathetic and stands for the international role. But my basic question is: of course, we need to hold African leaders accountable. They need to be accountable to the highest ideals of leadership. And given that Africa is there. Uh, highest challenge has the most challenges when it comes to rule of law, governance, and stability. Then it will be expected that Africans will make up the most of the indictees of the ICC. But then, even the United States and Israel are not signatory members of the ICC. So, why would they uh, uh, believe in a body that they are not part of? And in fact, when Fatou Ben Suta, the ICC prosecutor, said she would investigate the American crimes, war crimes in Afghanistan, the Secretary of State of the United States then, that is Mark Pompeo, was so incensed and made sure that Ben Suta's passport to America was withdrawn. So basically, America wants to be the world's policeman but it was it doesn't want to be held by the same rules that it wants other 
countries to practice, so which is just the demonstrated nature of the foreign policy of America. But what is good for America is good for the world. As Hillary Clinton said, American values are universal. So if American values are universal, why isn't America a member of the ICC? So this trend of African leaders only being the being the only inductees to the ICC, I think needs to be relooked. Or oh, we need an African Court of Justice that is higher than the African National Courts to arbitrate cases of uh, huge crimes against humanity which uh, the National Courts uh, may be unable to handle because of the big man syndrome or even huge constitutional cases like presidential petitions. I don't think any national court in Africa has the uh, potential or the will to handle election uh, cases in Africa. So we need an African Court of Justice in that regard. So, and even in the first place, why, why, why isn't, uh, that is Tony Blair and George W. Bush, why haven't they been inducted by the ICC for the war crimes in Iraq? So you get, this world is really double-sided. I'm not in any way excusing the crimes committed by the African big man, but I'm saying all of the world leaders should be held to the same standard. That the same standards that are held to the African also be held to Tony Blair, Bush, and the American war crimes in Afghanistan. Otherwise, the international rule of law and order will collapse because some countries view themselves as the bigger fish, while other fish, other smaller fish, are to be netted. Then, so that's a story from Abidjan.net. Laro Bagbo acquitted at the ICC. That is Abidjan.net. Laro Bagbo acquitted at the ICC. Then the New Times of Rwanda. Stick to what is right. Cardinal Kambala tells Christians. That is, stick to what is right. Cardinal Kambala, Kambada tells Christians. That is the New Times of Rwanda. So this gets me thinking if Christianity is for, is for moral virtue of the soul and sanctity of the soul, then why is it, for example, that 80% of Kenyans are Christians and yet uh, Kenya is one of the most corrupt countries in the world? Why is it that every Nigerian is either Muslim or a Christian, which is also an Abrahamic faith? Why is the corruption among the why is corruption in Nigeria among the highest levels in the world? Which which just tells me Christianity is an institution. It is not about the sanctity of the soul, nor about virtues. And even then, the trend of the prosperity gospel that is plant a seed that if you give an offering to the church, then you will reap much more. Then the prosperity gospel is destroying Christianity to a great deal. Uh, the gospel of instant riches, instant wealth, instant houses, instant car, instant spouse, instant promo job promotion. This is what pastors are praying for in churches and saying these are the miracle, uh, miracle items that we should be praying for. So I'm not saying that material prosperity is bad because even the body needs to be catered to, even as the soul is catered to. But in the pursuit of uh, material prosperity of the body, then the issues of the soul have been left. So you find the pastor that 
uh, preachers to just uh, to preach the true gospel of the sanctity of the soul, of prayer, of worship, of the purification and redemption of the human soul. This person just have 30 followers, no more than 30 followers, because people just can't handle the truth of these pastors, and that is the right gospel. But the pastors who preach the instant uh, riches, instant car, instant houses, instant job promotion, they have millions of followers because they are appealing to the materialistic society that we are in now, that success is now equated to money. So people now equate get success to money, and that is where we are losing it as a people. So because there are so many hardworking people that are still poor, so how do you explain that? And then again, uh, when you turn uh, job, getting jobs to a prayer item, so you are really manufacturing miracles because that is the work of the government. If they so what we should do is to pray for the right leaders or elect the right leaders. Because no matter how much you pray, if there are a, a thousand jobs available and if 10,000 people apply, 9,000 people are going to miss the job no matter how much they pray. So sometimes I think it's just a matter of uh, basic facts rather than appeal of uh, religion. So I think Christianity... Christians uh, are, are the biggest betrayers to the teachings of Christ. Christians are just the biggest betrayers to the teachings of Christ. And so that's just my two cents on this story on the New Times Rwanda that stick to what is right. Cardinal Kambanda tells Christians. And then from Burkina Faso, I look at Burkina Info. From Burkina Faso, I look at Burkina Info. More than 20 tons of gold are illegally produced per year. That is the Minister of Energy of Burkina Faso says. More than 20 tons of gold are illegally produced per year. Minister of Energy of Burkina Faso says. The nascent mining industry in Africa needs to be really developed. So, someone told me that the reason African, uh, there are no African companies mining minerals is not a lack of money, but is a is an issue of technical capacity. So we need to train more uh, uh, mining engineers in Africa too. Uh, mining engineers, geologists, and uh, metallurgy specialists so that they can add value and uh, they can mine our minerals and we don't leave it to Western multinationals to mine our minerals because they pay as very paltry uh, rent and lease fees. So we need more training of mining engineers, material engineers, uh, metallurgy engineers, geologists. All these people are needed so that Africans can mine their own minerals. So this is in a response to the story in Burkina Faso, Burkina Info, that more than 20 tons of gold are illegally produced per year. That is according to the minister of energy of Burkina Faso. So that is the lead. Those are the three stories I've given you. So let me look at some international uh, headline, international opinion piece. Then I can comment on it. Times of India. Times of India. Left wing, right wing, or chicken wing. Test is the real political test. That is. 
left wing, right wing or chicken wing. Test is a real political test. So at least in India they, they are quite ahead of us in Africa. At least they practice the politics of left wing, uh, ideology that is left wing, right wing or chicken wing. In Africa there is practically no political party that can be said is left wing, right wing or centrist. In Africa, practically all the parties are based on tribe. So the opposition party and the ruling party are just the same. Where they differ is in where they draw their support and the region they draw their support from. So that's why uh, elections are wars in Africa, basically, because it fits tribe A against tribe B. And so for India, even with the, and you know India is the world's largest dem democracy, it's not the United States. So this Times of India editorial uh, opinion piece saying that the real character of a politician is not whether they are left wing, right wing, or chicken wing. The test is in the real political test. But then democracy for then, uh, but liberal democracy has has not worked outside the United States because it is said that uh, you need a per capita of ten thousand. A per capita income of at least ten thousand dollars per year for liberal democracy to work because you need a middle class that can engage in the ideas and the strong ideas of a liberal democracy. So you find that other than the West, the rest of the world politics is a pact between the rich who provide the funds and the poor who act as the foot soldiers of the rich who enforce the decisions of the rich. So the middle class is very small other, uh, in the developing world to effect any change in politics. And so the fastest way to build democracy in Africa and around the developing world then is to increase people's income so that they'll get to debate their better ideas that can uplift them. Otherwise, if people are poor, they're prone to being bribed and the rich politicians just get to be elected and by the way, Power. So that's my two cents on the Times of India story. So let me do a quick startup of uh, stories around Africa, startup news. And the reason I do startup news is because I believe creative genius entrepreneurs will be the solution to Africa's endless problems. They will solve the toughest challenges that affect Africans. So let me start with. Uh, techinafrica.com Digital contactless payment by Apple Pay now available in South Africa although I would say mobile money is the way to go not e-commerce mobile money is the way to go in Africa and in Kenya for instance mobile money transactions in the year 2020 was 47 billion dollars so if you extrapolate that to Africa that, that will be about a trillion dollars of mobile money transactions and fintechs that can leverage on mobile money in Africa, I think will make a very huge dividend. Then another st startup news, North Africa Innovators to reap from $32.7 million seed program. That is North Africa Innovators to reap from $32.7 million seed program. So uh, this is a program to support entrepreneurs. Access to capital is key for an entrepreneur, but so is mentorship and the aptitude of the entrepreneur because studies show that businesses succeed not on the idea but on the ability 
of the entrepreneur. That's why I say you cannot teach an entrepreneur. You can train the basic aspects of being an entrepreneur, but to be an entrepreneur, you have to jump to the swimming pool and learn how to swim. So this seed program should just be an addition. It should not replace the initiative of the entrepreneur. Then another startup news. South Africa cloud-based security startup expands to the UK. That is, South Africa cloud-based security startup expands to the UK. So it's good that African companies are expanding to the world. So uh, in due time, it, it will not be an anomaly for an African uh, to own a multi-billion dollar company. Then another story from TechCrunch.com. Three ways venture capital firms can construct sustainably diverse portfolios so venture capital firms has been accused that it is a white male dominated field so they need to have also black uh, black venture capitalists and brown and women venture capitalists because black venture capitalists will relate better to a black founders a woman a woman venture capitalist will relate better to Woman found the same to the black, uh, brown, Asian, and Latino venture capitalists. So that way, then the scope, because there's, there's what they say is confirmation bias, you are likely to agree with someone who looks like you, thinks like you, and comes from the same background as you. So that's why, uh, so that's my two cents on three ways venture capital firms can construct. Sustainably diverse portfolio. Then another story, startup news. Oregon Payments startup the local quadruples valuation to $5 billion with $150 million raise. So that's, a, that's $150 million raise to $5 billion valuation. But the bad side is that for startups with every funding, with every uh, successive fundraising, the uh, ownership of the founder is diluted. But someone argues that it is better to own 5% of a $100 billion corporation, that is, be worth $5 billion than to own 100% of nothing. That is, you don't get any funding, so in your idea, uh, your idea gets stuck. But the ratio between the money guy and the idea guy is what's most important the ratio of ownership between the money guys and the idea guys because for me right now i think the money guys are getting a upper they're getting an upper hand over the idea guys and i think it should be opposite just like in the english premier league where uh, players constitute about seven players wages constitute about 70 percent of a club's expenses i think an idea guy should own 70% and a money guy should own 30%. That is just me thinking. Or if it goes too much, the idea guy owns 68%, then the money guy owns 32%. But right now it's it's the opposite. It is the money guys who have the upper hand. And then another story from TechCrunch.com. Clubhouse will create billions in value and capture none of it. This is a story by... Uh, an opinion by Natasha Mascarenas of TechCrunch.com. So, as I've said, uh, a billion dollar 
firm could practically employ the whole world. Then a billion dollar industrial company employed about 20,000 people with a valuation of about uh, employed about 20,000 people, so it could sustain terms and employed uh, the state university graduates, so it left out the community college graduate and the high school graduate and the grad school graduate. And then and then a billion dollar startup will employ just 10 people. It may have a product, but definitely has no revenue, has no profit. So I don't know, I think to me sometimes the startup up the app industry seems to be some kind of Ponzi scheme. But I think the industrial internet of things where now the mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, uh, computer science, then financial and finance will combine. That is mechanical engineering, computer engineering, electrical engineering, and finance will combine. That is the industrial internet of things and smart hardware. I think that's where real value will be created. That will be the fourth industrial revolution, as they say. So that's a bit of startup news from around Africa. So let me look at a student's paper. A student's paper, which one do I look at? So let me look at the Oxford student. The Oxford student, this is the university student newspaper of Oxford University. The Oxford student, reclaim the streets, reclaim language. The issue is how we talk about sexual harassment. So sexual harassment in the workplace seems to be, is a huge taboo subject because it is said that for women, uh, for women to rise to the top then they have to sleep with someone to rise to the top, that they don't have to rise, that everyone suspects that they didn't rise through the ability alone. And so this is what, this is the mud that is thrown at all uh, women bigwigs. And so it's, I, I would think that sexual harassment should be really something that should be contained, especially because it shouldn't be that you should uh, turn sexual favors, sexual favors with your boss in order to get a promotion or to get a contract or to get a job for that matter. And in Africa especially, uh, sexual favors to get a job or to get a good grade in university is something that uh, is something that is really rampant in Africa and I think we should address it. So that's the Oxford student. That is reclaim the streets, reclaim language. The issue is how we talk about sexual harassment. So that's it from the student newspaper. So you can get, you can also check out my book that is The New Africa Rising. That is The New Africa Rising, which is available on Amazon.com for only $4.99. That is The New Africa Rising, which is available on Amazon.com for only $4.99. In the book, I basically talk about how Africa can move from the periphery of the world where it contributes just 1% of the global economic output to the front center and leader of the world where it contributes 70% to the global economic output. And I say Africa should produce what it consumes and consume what it produces. In this way, it will add about 
70%, it will add two, it will multiply its economy by 200 times. So move from 1,000 per capita to 200,000. Move from $1 trillion to $200 trillion. So that makes me a very mad person for suggesting that Africa should be 10 times the economy of the United States within the next uh, 30 years. While everyone else has written this place of war, disease, poverty, unemployment, hunger, illiteracy, has written it off. And in fact, everyone has called the 21st century the Asian century because of China and India. But I will say that they say there's nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come. And an idea whose time has come is for Africa to move from being the cotton of the world to move be and be the main actor in the world. To move and be the main actor. So that's a $200 trillion statement uh, right there. So get these ideas in my book on how we can remake Africa. That uh, That is the new Africa Rising by Collins Mabinda Okango. That is the new Africa Rising by Collins Mabinda Okango. It's available on Amazon.com for only $4.99. You can I have attached a link at the top. Just copy and paste it into your browser and read the first 20 pages for free where you can get the feel, tone, and outlook of the book on the promise and potential of Africa, and if you like the outline of the book, kindly make a purchase for only $4.99. Thank you so much for being an avid listener, for being, for listening to this episode. I'll upload another episode in the next one hour or two. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.